From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel and this is the Times of India podcast. The jury has reached the verdict and it is damning. This report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is a litany of broken climate promises. It is a file of shame, cataloging the empty pledges that put us firmly on track towards an unlivable world. We are on a fast track to climate disaster. Major cities underwater, unprecedented heat waves, terrifying storms, widespread water shortages, the extinction of a million species of plants and animals. And this is not fiction or exaggeration. It is what science tells us will result from our current energy policies. That's UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who had some very strong opening remarks on the release of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report last week. The report has the strictest warning yet for mankind on climate change. It lays out how every decision taken from now on will impact warming of the Earth, increase in temperatures, which in turn will of course have a direct bearing on climate change and how it affects our lives. The issue of actions becomes much more front and center in this latest report because so far it is the science of the emissions that human activities are putting into the atmosphere and the impacts that humans and and, and uh, the natural world overall will face but what do we do about it is what gets covered in a report on mitigation um, and that's why it is important to look at this as a a policy guidance about the uh, about the way forward the report by articulating the where the world is and where it needs to go for instance the world is on track for anywhere between 2.4 to 3.5 degrees of warming above pre-industrial levels by 2100 um, whereas the world needs to be well below 2 degrees closer to 1.5 degrees we need to get onto a substantially different pathway both in terms of reducing the emissions that we put out but also a very important issue that has come out in this report getting emissions or getting concentrations of greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere carbon dioxide removal that's arunab ghosh who is the ceo of the think tank council on energy environment and water explaining the broad message of the ipcc report he tells my colleague arun george why this report has shifted the deadline to act on energy policies and what india needs to do in this context one of the big headlines that has come from this report is the fact that the deadline to act has sort of been shifted drastically down to 2025 in a sense uh, why is it so short suddenly when we consider that over the past decade we have put out more emissions than in any other decade in history it means that this room left between where we are now and the upper limit has become less why the 2025 story becomes important is that if you wanted to limit temperature rise to 1.5 degrees with very limited what is called overshoot that is you 
overshoot the target and then try and bring uh, emissions down from the atmosphere, then you have to peak emissions by 2025. If we had emitted less in the past decade or in the decades previously, then that room for maneuver would have been a little longer. So now every year that we don't act fast enough and aggressively enough, that um, crash, that the crashing into the upper limit becomes more and more uh, probabilistic. The need is to reduce emissions and a major way that's been cited is reducing our dependence on fossil fuels. Um, how does the world even start to go about that given, like you said, we've had a decade where we've perhaps had more emissions than any ever before. And now, especially for a country like India, where um, growth is still a very major factor, where you still have poverty and you're going to have to try and balance growth with less emissions. The world needs to get to what is called net zero emissions by 2050, which, is, which basically means that you bring emissions down, you peak by 2025 and bring emissions down um, uh, as rapidly as possible, close to zero by 2050. But whatever extra you are emitting, you're able to then remove it from the atmosphere. Um, however, that does not mean every country has to reach that target exactly the same time. What India has done is stated a target of 2070 for net zero emissions. Um, which gives it that 50-year transition period between now and then to do the same that the world needs to do by 2050. This gives India some room to keep growing before its emissions peak. However, 2070, while on a, on a calendar basis might seem 20 years after 2050, India's commitments are actually more progressive than that of many of the largest polluters. The time taken from India's peaking of emissions, say around 2040 to 2070, and, and getting to net zero by 2070, will be the fastest transition of any major economy. The Europeans have a more than 70-year transition period. The Americans have a, the Japanese have a more than 40-year transition period. The Chinese will have more than a 30-year transition period. So India will have to try to get there within 30 years, even with a 2070 net zero, India will emit 59% less emissions between the last and this century than China, 58% less emissions than the United States, and 49% less emissions than the European Union. However, can India do more? One of the things that India is doing uh, quite aggressively is the shift towards renewable electricity. But electricity is a very small share, under 20% of our overall energy. The rest of our energy goes in transportation, in industry, and so forth, in our buildings, so forth. So we have to find alternative ways of continuing to grow the economy, grow our industry without losing market access and competitiveness, grow our agriculture, grow our cities, grow our transportation systems, while constantly making sure that we are emitting less. India will also have to think quite hard about how do you avoid certain types of mobility requirements at all before you even change the fuel mix and mobility? How do you change the way your buildings are built 
uh, or the embedded emissions in the building of the buildings or the embedded emissions in the operations of the buildings, how the buildings are cooled down in a hot country like India. These will all help to reduce the energy demand in the first place. Arunob says this report for the first time deals with the largely small tests on processes that capture carbon dioxide that's in the air. And he tells Arun how these could work in the future. Those include the natural carbon sinks, could be forests and as a result, afforestation. It could be uh, a combination of natural and uh, carbon uh, and, and, and engineered processes such as what is called PEX, bioenergy carbon capture and storage. Um, then there are mechanical uh, approaches, what is called direct air capture. So you're sucking air and passing it through filters to be able to separate the carbon out. And then there are chemical processes such as enhanced weathering of rocks or increasing the alkaline, alkaline content or concentrations of oceans to be make oceans absorb more, uh, more of the greenhouse gases. This technology spectrum is one that requires more research and investigation. These are not proven technologies. But to me, the issue is of governance. It talks about finance and technology and capacity building. It does not talk about uh, removal because when the FCCC was negotiated, the hope was or, uh, uh, that countries would mitigate fast enough. And if they couldn't mitigate, they would adapt. A little did, and maybe we knew when we chose to put our heads in the sand, but little did we know that even 2050 projections would start looking, to, looking like reality in 2020. Let alone 30 years ago, even now as we are thinking of amping up our ambitions across the world towards net zero, there is no governance mechanism for the net of the net zero. How are you going to get to that net? What technology will you use? What consequences will it have? Will it impact your neighboring countries? Will it impact, you know, biogeochemical processes? Will it impact biodiversity? Uh, will it impact food security? There is, there is no forum at which these issues can be discussed. If the mathematical equation tells that carbon dioxide removal is necessary, who's going to pay for it? Because all our conversations around climate finance has currently not talked about removal. These are critical governance conundrums that are there, where the science is telling us one thing, the institutions to deal with them are either missing or inadequate. So you almost make it sound like that's not going to happen in time, as it stands. Because if you have not started, how do you get to a stage where it's being implemented in real world? I think what this report will do is it will put carbon dioxide removal front and center as part of the suite of technologies that you have to consider. If we fail at everything because of our own inaction or our myopia or lack of technology or lack of finance, then how do we deal with the climate emergencies, the consequences of an overshoot? My worry is not about whether the technologies will be developed or not developed. If we don't get there, if we don't get to peaking of emissions by 2025, means that every extra year that we are not peaking globally, we have to suck more carbon out of the atmosphere. 
Aditya Bahadur, who is a principal researcher at the International Institute for Environment and Development, says the climate emergencies that people are likely to face in the future will be of a very different nature. They may not necessarily be big natural calamities like floods, but an actual accumulation of multiple small catastrophes. So I think in India, we're going to see a few things. We're going to see uh, extreme temperatures, which are going to become more and more common. All the models are telling us that. Now, the important thing to remember about extreme temperatures is we shouldn't only focus on maximum temperatures during the day, but also the rise in nighttime temperatures. Because physiologically, if the body is able to rest at below 28 degrees, it is able to withstand much higher temperatures during the day. But if nighttime temperatures rise, then the body's innate capacity to deal with extreme heat uh, erodes slowly, leading to all kinds of physiological problems. We're also going to see extreme rainfall events where maybe in the course of a year, the same amount of rainfall falls as it is currently, but it falls in much more concentrated periods of time. Therefore, we will see more incidences of events such as the Chennai floods or the catastrophic Bombay floods. Some cities will see flooding as well as periods of water scarcity. And I'm convinced I live about um, 100 meters away from the banks of the Jamna. And I'm convinced that in my lifetime, Delhi is going to face a catastrophic flood and we're going to face crippling water scarcity due to um, the impacts of climate change. I also want to draw attention to creeping changes that are brought about by a changing climate. For instance, the gradual change in seasons uh, can have a huge impact on agricultural output. And we need to make sure that we're adapting the kind of crops that we're growing, shifting um, uh, planting cycles, et cetera, aligned with those. Again, water scarcity is really a creeping change. It suddenly manifests as an emergency, mm -hmm. but uh, reducing water tables that actually happen over time, mm -hmm. along with uh, reducing water tables, the reduction in the in the quality of water mm. is another creeping change mm. of climate change because as water reduces, mm. the pollutants mixed in mm. the water become uh, greater. Mm. And therefore, you will see um, increased cases of fluoride poisoning. And how prepared is a country like India right now to deal with something like this, right, at, at such scale? India has taken some really remarkable and useful steps to deal with the impacts of climate change. Every district in the country has a district disaster management plan. Every state has a state disaster management plan. And we have an extremely active and capable National Disaster Management Authority. So the policy environment is extremely robust. However, as with many things in our country, uh, while the policies and the laws and the regulation and the direction is there, um, there, there are gaps in execution. Many reviews of state-level climate action plans reveal that while the plans themselves might be useful, there are big gaps in the degree to which they have been executed. People have reviewed uh, the national fund that had been set up to support uh, adaptation and found that it is um, the amount of money in there is not enough to support adaptation at, at scale. And the quality of district disaster management plans also varies quite substantially from state to state thing that we need to do is ensure that we are working together in partnership 
with people who might be vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. In cities, this is largely people living in informal settlements who don't have the financial safety nets, who live in low-lying areas and hazard prone, um, in, on hazard-prone parcels of land. We need to ensure that we are training them, working with them, developing local institutions that can help them weather the shocks, stresses uh, that they might face. Mostly, governments treat people living in slums as the problem. We need to shift to thinking of them as part of the solution. We need to focus on finance. Um, there are big gaps in financing at the moment. If you look at the amount of money that we need to deal with climate impacts and the amount of money that is available from the international or national system, it is not enough to deal with these impacts. The latest IPCC report also puts the onus on people to do more, whether in their individual capacity or as societies. We asked both Arunab Ghosh and Aditi Bahadur what they think we can do individually and collectively. Globally and in India, discussions on climate change are dominated by uh, an, uh, an overwhelming obsession with reducing emissions, energy efficiency, transitions to new kinds of energy regimes. So we need to recognize that along with reducing emissions, we cannot ignore adaptation. I don't think current discussion in India on climate change is comprehensive or adequate enough to tackle climate impacts through adaptation. And we need to do a few things uh, um, at an individual level. So we can be much more mindful of the energy efficiency of our appliances. Look at that star rating pasted in the front of your refrigerator quite carefully. It will not only save you money, it will save the environment as well. We need to become much more judicious when it comes to consumption. We need to consume much more sustainably. I want to emphasize here that India's per capita carbon footprint is fairly low because vast numbers of poor people are not consuming um, uh, you know, uh, unsustainably. It is the rich in India who are really starting to consume very unsustainably and we on the adaptation side, you can ensure that wherever you live has water harvesting infrastructure to reduce water scarcity um, in, in the neighborhood. You can be much more mindful of uh, weather reports. So if you're stepping out in times of extreme heat, you're taking all the precautions that are necessary, such as hydrating yourself. Go a step further, you could put a water fountain at the gate of your building or, or at your house. So other people, for example, daily wage laborers, people, um, vendors, street vendors outside your property can also have access to cooling. It means, say, the air conditioner that is running in the office right now, what is the temperature setting for that? Um, if you set it in a way where, you know, I instead of wearing a shirt and a vest, I have to wear a tie and a jacket and uh, a shawl or a cardigan, then obviously that the, from a 20 degree setting to a 24 degree or a 26 degree setting makes a huge difference. Similarly, to shift it to more healthy dietary choices, um, not just meat versus vegetables, but also you know, re removing food waste, uh, both in production and in transportation and in consumption. Uh, more nutritious grains, even if you're looking at a vegetarian diet, there are more nutritious grains than, say, white rice, which consumes a huge amount of water, which has to be pumped using energy. Uh, equally, those same grains, 
say millets, etc. can also be more climate resilient crops, uh, more hardy crops. Then, of course, comes the transportation choices. At CW, we had uh, done a survey across urban India, and we found that more than 60% of urban Indians, their primary mode of transport are their two legs. So firstly, can I reduce the transportation need in the first place, like the design of the cities? Secondly, if I'm moving, can I use public transport? And if I am using public transport or private transport, can it be cleaner fuels? Uh, third big component is going to be materials. Today, suppose I shift to an electric car. Now that electric car, I say, now I will not buy this car unless it has a range of 500 kilometers. But ask yourself, how many times of the week do you drive 500 kilometers? But to have that option value, you need a completely different size of battery compared to a car that might have a 300 kilometer range. Which means even when you're shifting to cleaner energy sources, you have to be careful about your material footprint. Related to material footprint is going to be triggering the circular economy. How do we not just recycle, you know, paper and a battery here or there, but almost think of the economy as circular economy, as that is the dominant paradigm. We should not dismiss the report that because it does not talk about our way of life and addresses it more towards that the, 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 the hyperactive, uh, high-consumption way of life, that it has no lessons for us. In fact, it is telling us, don't go down that route and end up getting stuck in an economy of the past rather than being at the forefront of driving an economy of the future. Today's episode is produced by Arun George and Sunai Marathi. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We are available on TOI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, reach us at toipodcasts at timesinternet.in.